I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. While there is technically no swearing at Winding Circle Temple, we do occasionally swear at the Reading Circle Temple. So if you are listening in a place or with a person that doesn't do swear words, you may want to find another time to listen. This has been your Obscenity Warning. Hello, welcome to the Reading Circle Temple. I'm Molly. I'm Indy. I'm Brittany. I'm Goodwin. And today we're talking about chapter one of Dodgen's book. So grab your bucket of water. Or your fire extinguisher. <laughs> Or your plant mage of choice. And only you can prevent forest fires. Chapter one of Dasha's book begins with, surprise, surprise, the four kids and their teachers riding into a place that is far away from Discipline Cottage. Yeah, that threw me off at first. I was like, what? Yeah. What? They're traveling. They have a map. They have a map? Yeah, it had a map of the Golden Valley. Oh, yeah, yeah. There is a map of Gold Ridge Valley in the front of the book. And one of the things that I find particularly interesting is that north is not up. Wow, I didn't even notice that. I literally just noticed it just now. Pierce's books, I think, always have a map in the cover. She does pretty much always have one. Yeah, I I see that pretty commonly in fantasy books. You gotta have a map where stuff is to make it easier to I think maybe because I grew up with Pierce's books I really love it when I open a fantasy book and there's a map in the front it always brings me joy and some of Pierce's books have the map repeated in the back as well which is also fun you can flip to whichever side's closer so they are going to Gold Ridge Valley the Duke is going there because there's been a drought and the people are in need of food. And so he's going there to see what he can do. Because that's kind of his job as the leader of Emelon. And 
he kind of invites the teachers because they're awesome. And the teachers take their students because nobody else can deal with them. <laughs> yeah. As they're going up, Rose Thorne notices a lot of forest debris on the ground around the trees. And she's cranky about it. The next day, Daja goes into the forge and she has to make nails. So she's been to several different smithies. Yeah, so as they've been traveling, she has been working with Frost Pine in various local smithies. And I think she says this one's a little bit nicer than most of the ones she's been in. Mm -hmm. And Tris is helping her keep the fire because she can't control her power well enough to go on important missions, as it were. And she's also had her hair cut super, super short. So she's just sitting there and reading her book while she sends a breeze to keep the fire going. And as Daja is beginning, this new person comes into the forge and she's like, oh, are you the smith? And then she sees Daja's trader staff. So Daja's like, hey, Triss, come over here. And Triss is like, what the fuck is wrong? And- Trying to read. Tris makes more wind and makes the fire go <laughs> even stronger. Like, ah, okay, I'm helping you. And she's like, no, that's not what I needed. Tris talks to this person. She's like, I need the blacksmith. And Tris is like, well, my friend Daja's here. She can help you. And this person's like, who? Who are you talking about? There's no one here. And Daja has to attempt to explain to Tris how trader culture is affecting this interaction because the trader by custom cannot interact with Daja at all because Daja is Trangxi and this pisses Triss off and Triss has little lightning bolts everywhere which scares the trader. Anyway, cutting to a new scene, Sandry and Briar are traveling with all of the adults. There are these guardsmen who have these fancy jackets with this beautiful embroidery and Sandry is looking at the embroidery on one of the jackets and it has a wire thread in it and that's like super cool to her and then suddenly lightning or something comes out of her finger and it melts the thread. It was as soon as, as Dasha reached out to her and Briar that uh, heat came out of her finger and melted all the thread. And Dasha's was like, hey, get me the smith because uh, shit's going down here. We got some problems. Meanwhile, back at the forge, we find out that the trader's name is Pollyam. She and Tris are waiting outside the forge for the smith to come because Pollyam can't talk to the Trangshi. Then suddenly, Daja cries out for help. They rush in, and Daja has pulled her rods out of the fire to make nails, and they have started growing into some kind of metal vine, which I believe in the last episode we agreed is Briar's tree's girlfriend. Yes. (laughs) I'm sorry, there are motorcycles going by and making lots of noise. Step one of our three-step reading process. 
is reading like a novice. This is where we talk about what we liked and didn't like about the <laughs> chapter. And I'm going to guess that Brittany did not like Pollyanne. I did not. <laughs> Shocking. Who would? Admit it. At least this time, you're not supposed to. <laughs> yeah. At least this time, that's a valid response. Did you want to tell us what else you liked or didn't like? I have a big list. I've got a couple of little things, I guess. Tell us, Goodwin. Okay. My likes, and this is how I wrote it down, was just map, exclamation point. Glossary, exclamation point. There is a whole glossary of trader terms in the bag. I like it a lot because uh, I don't have to look into each chapter trying to see what word meant what or what Dasha thinks each word meant and just look up what they're saying and have it real real clear. So that, that's really nice. I also like the fact that Little Bear is not so little. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of normal bear, I think. I also like the difference between the uh, religions, the two religions that are kind of brought up between the, the living circle and their belief in reincarnation and the trader beliefs, including P. Jewel Fackle, which is uh, where you go if you don't pay your debts, which involves a lot of flame, which is, I think, reminiscent of Christianity and hell. I, I thought that was fun. That's the big thing that I wrote down is I love the fact that there's this really interesting bit of world building that comes out of just a couple of lines of dialogue, really. She does a really good job making the dialogue feel natural, but also just, oh, by the way, here's some more depth to the world that we live in. I'm really interested in religion, so I love getting to learn more about their religion. And I was talking to somebody recently, I don't remember if this is an interview or something, but I do think that Pierce said somewhere that she is pagan or Wiccan or something like that, or at least her spirituality or whatever is heavily influenced by those things. And that's part uh, of that she writes polytheistic religions. I don't really know what the point was there, but. It's cool. I think it's cool. It's one of the more interesting spiritual beliefs among authors that I read. Out of curiosity, did you notice the maps in the last two books? I saw the one from the first book, I think. Okay. I, I didn't see one in the last one. Was there one in the last one? There should have been. Yeah, there's a map. Oh, there is one there. Yeah. wish I'd seen that earlier. I don't know how I missed that. I love maps. The first two books have maps. The third one has the glossary and... Part of that is because, as you can tell, we're going to be dealing more with traders in this book. Mm -hmm. But I think also, as she progressed as a writer, certain features became more common in her books. Because like you said, a lot of fantasy books have maps. I've read a lot of fantasy books that also have glossaries, either for terms that are common in their world but aren't in ours, or terms that are from like conlangs. I think the inclusion of a glossary becomes more common within her books around this point. It might be that this was a progression within her writing and her publication, which is interesting. I don't know if that was just for as a writer or if that was editing or publishing decision in there of, oh, hey, we should probably include a glossary because it could be very much involved with how books in general and fantasy books and YA fantasy books were progressing as a whole. But 
don't know. Some of her later books also have character lists, I think. So I guess depending on how many characters you have, I can see that being helpful. I really like the way Daja still tends to her staff. I think it's very telling of her personality. It's a good comparison between her and Triss. So Triss is cast out from her family and she's basically just like, fuck them, those assholes. And Daja is cast out from this entire group of people. She's still accepting of this. There, there is a reason for this. She doesn't just turn away from her culture, even though she's told that she doesn't belong there anymore. And I noticed that when she goes into the forge, she cares for her staff still, even though it marks her as an outcast. Kind of reminds me of oppressed groups in the United States who very much are patriotic and like, we love America, even though they still get treated like shit. There's some woundful stuff in that culture. I mean, every culture has their quirks, but that one part just seems particularly unfair. Also, nails. I think this is my new swear word, along with cat dirt. <laughs> oh, yeah. nails. So we, we talk about cat dirt is shit, and we ask, like, what's the word for fuck? I think that's nails. Yes. Another thing that I like about Daja is that she has this sort of dual identity. The traders call Crossman Luxha, and she is both trader and Luxha, and she is both fire and water, and she is both sailor and landsman. And I just think that's very interesting because we've talked a bit about this sort of dual identity of her dealing with coming from one culture and being interested in something that has to do with another. But I think there are a lot of ways in which she has this dual identity and I guess we'll see how she has to, how she deals with that. I have several, just like Indy does. My first one is when they're walking through the forest fire and Dodge is looking at it and uh, she's thinking to herself, how could anything as wonderful as fire look so menacing? Uh, she worked with it every day. It was her friend. What if one day it turned against her as it had against Gold Ridge's fields? Uh, you were just talking about how Daja has a duality. This fire also has a duality. It can be her friend, but it can also cause destruction like it's doing with the forest. Can I interject that okay. that reminds me of Avatar, The Last Airbender? Because they talk oh. about how like fire is, is so destructive. It can eat you alive, essentially, in a way that the other magics don't. And it can also be a giver of life. For, like, food and stuff. What you also have to look at it is your forest isn't healthy without it. That's true. So as a plant person, this is one of those things. Half the reason why we have wildfires like we do is because you have to burn through everything. Mm -hmm. And some plants, that is the only way their seeds will destroy is if they get hot enough to open it up. It does have that duality of, of creation and destruction. I think that's really interesting you say that too, because uh, Rose Thorne doesn't explicitly say anything, but when she, I don't remember who she spoke to, but uh, it was one of the people that lived in the area that was talking about when was the last time you had a big forest fire? And he said, oh, it was like when my dad was a kid. 
and she was kind of like, oh, of course, that kind of explains why things are so bad because you need those fires to, yeah. you need those fires. Yeah. If you don't have them, you don't have a healthy forest. Yeah. So it's cool that our plant people know that. I also think it's interesting. So we started with Sandry's book and we had, everybody has this magic that kind of works through the act of crafting and creation. And Goodwin pointed out that this is a little bit different. Hers is much more destructive. So then we have Trish's book. And now in Gaja's book, we're seeing the destructive side of her magic. Well, I certainly was only looking at that one aspect of creation, but it's fire. It does a little of both. Anyways, my next one is when Polyam goes into the uh, smithy. And Triss is being very rude to her. Daja tells her, be polite. It's not her fault I'm Trinxi. Offer her water from the well. And Triss tells her, it's not your fault either. Alec, oh, so sweet. She's sticking up for her friend, which is awesome. The next part I liked was the imagery of the jackets. Each one starts out with the same image. A lavender flower, well-opened, with slender yellow rods at the center. Each design, though, was individual in waves of light that radiate from the design done in all colors, patterns, and threads. I want one of these. That would be awesome. I want a jacket. Just like this. It would be amazing. It sounds really pretty. Still talking about the jacket, the next part I like is when Sandry's looking at it. And Briar's like, if you want me to nick it. I'll have to wait till dark. Habits <laughs> <laughs> uh, die hard. They sure do. That is just one of mine that you called. Sandy's like, as if you stole anything anymore. He's like, well, that's where you're wrong. And he stole some grapes. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of get the impression that if Sandry didn't stop him, he would steal the jacket just to prove her wrong. He might return it afterward, but he's like, see, I still steal things. Look, I can still steal stuff. You still got it. I like that he does steal stuff, but when he does steal stuff, it's usually food. He he loves food. Another part that I like but was kind of sad was when they're describing Briar's appearance and they're talking about his eyes. They change from gray-green to lime-green which pointed to his Western blood of one of his parents. And he wasn't sure which one it might be. He had never known his father and his mother died when he was four. It was really sad, but it was cool that he knows part of his heritage, I guess. That was cool, but sad. And then the part whenever Sandry is still looking at the jacket and looking at all the threads and stuff, as she asks Briar what kind of flower is on the jacket, He tells her what it is, but she's not really paying attention to what he's saying. And he doesn't get upset by it. He's just like, oh, well, when she looks at cloth, she gets like that. So I thought that was cute. I need to learn to be more like that because if I'm talking to somebody and they're not paying attention to me, I get kind of pissed. Wait, what? (laughs) Anyways... Couldn't help myself. Old habits are. You literally only took one. That's weird. That usually doesn't work out like that. My favorite, the very, very beginning, 
when Briar's asking Rose Thorne if she's okay. And she's just like, go. Just fucking go. And he's like, that's not what I asked. (laughs) Everything all right. Just stay put. I'll be there in a moment. So she answers, I'll be there in a moment. (laughs) Yeah, see, that's why she needed to poop. Because she was digging a hole. And then he's like, are you okay? And she's like, go. I'll catch up with you. Like, she's got a shit. Leave her alone. (laughs) (laughs) You notice how he doesn't actually say that loud enough for her to hear? Well, of course not. (laughs) (laughs) So I love the description of the valley as well. It's a very bright imagery. And I will say this multiple times throughout this book. It just says nails. I love the description of the embroidery. It's very vibrant. It's also really interesting because we don't really have embroidery done with metal. We do have gold thread. So we have something similar, but it's not the same as actual wires, which is what saves the whole design. It's because of the fact that it's wired. Instead of just thread. Brittany stole the nicket scene. <laughs> she nicked the scene. I really like that because it's just more Briar being Briar. Yeah. Which I, I love being Briar. The whole part after she's in the thread, she's like, go, just just go. And Briar's like, don't you see me nice? I love how he gets a little bit defensive and a little bit upset because he's like, I'm not just going to leave you to deal with this by yourself. Why would you even assume that I would? The The whole interaction between the uh, castle guard and Sandry over the jacket, I don't know why it amuses me so much, but it just cracks me up. She's just like, look, I fucked it up. What what can I do to fix it? And he's just like, no, no, it's fine. A pretty lady touch it and just like destroyed my jacket. It's fine. I found that part to be really creepy. Okay, but the reason why I find it the girl men are kissing her fingers and like, it's fine. You have to consider the culture of the setting though. I get it, but um, especially because she is nobility. I know, but I don't know. It was so it's it's appropriate for people who are beneath her status wise to take her hand and kiss it kind of thing. Well that part was fine, but just made her blush and these other guys are like coming up and like, Can you do it t- to mine too? Like, like flirting almost. And she's ten. Like I, I never interpreted that as flirting. Yeah. I always interpreted it as, hey. This is actually really cool. And now mine looks different and stands out. And then everybody else is like, I want one. He's like, I'll be the envy of my village with your mark on me. You marked me. It's also the, because of the fact that she is nobility. It's like when you meet a celebrity. It's like me with Gavin just at, hi. um, I get that. But let's say that celebrity is 10 years old. As a straight adult man, I'm sure you all want my opinion on 
Absolutely. I think the wording was very weird. I do agree that one sentence of like her mark on him was pretty weird. But also like the fact that she is royalty doesn't excuse it, doesn't make it right. But I can see in that sort of like feudal society where you have to kind of grovel in front of royalty. He would say that kind of thing to make her feel better. And everyone else is kind of joining in too. Maybe they do think it's cool, but I also see it as a try to not make the potentially future queen or something upset at you over a small burn print on your jacket. I, I don't know. I think there's some middle ground there to be to be found. I think this is hilarious because I always interpreted it as totally genuine. He's just like, no, I think it's really cool. And then everybody else is like, yeah, it is really cool. I want one. I think he could have gone about it in a different way, telling her it was okay, not making her blush and saying, I've got your mark on me. Well, um, that one sentence is very girl. weird. I think it can give you like, the not saying I've got your mark on me, I don't think he has a lot of control over preventing her from blushing. Oh, yeah, sure. Fine. That part's fine. But him saying, I've got your mark on me, mm, mm, it's very cringy. <laughs> this is this is probably because I've been watching a lot of like medieval-y Arthurian type of stuff, but it makes me think of when they do jousting or in Robin Hood when they're having like the archery tournaments. And the woman gives her handkerchief and he like wraps it around his lance or his whatever. Whatever, yeah. Yeah, his arm. I don't know. It's like take this as a token of my affection. And so it's it seems very similar to me. I don't know. I get that it's different times, but being in the time that we are now is mm, uh. like I think I think that's a legitimate reading of it. Indy Indy has something to say. You'll say, oh, it was different time. No, bitch, they still thought it was fucking creepy. So when marriages took place and your 14-year-old was married off to a 30-something-year-old, it was never consummated until they were of a certain age. They were like, yeah, this is my wife, but it's not a sexual thing. Marriages weren't really for love. They were for... Or political gain, right? Yeah. At least least among, like, nobility and rich people. Yeah. And so you have this 14-year-old who's future ruler of land A, and you're a much older person from land B. It was literally... If you take it beyond that, that's creepy. So they wouldn't consummate it until they were like 16. Which, okay, back at that time, the life expectancy was a lot shorter. So in that aspect, it was a little different. Even in Rome, when all of these paintings and sculptures and stuff of these young boys, typically were in all of these places it still wasn't inherently sexual it was a kind of for lack of a better way to put it it was an appreciation because life expectancy then was a lot shorter as well so these people that they were going and 
learning all of this stuff from was only like five to ten years older than them. It is creepy in that aspect for us now, but it was never inherently sexual. Like, there were people who took it to that extreme, just like today there are people who take it to that extreme. But it's not necessarily intended in that way that it's still taken. So, if you say, oh, well, it was a different time, no. They still thought it was creepy. It wasn't sexual. Fuck off with that bullshit. So, bam. Natalie laying down some history. So, what do you think, Indy? Is his kissing her fingers creepy or not? Is his saying, I will have your mark upon me creepy or not? Ever since I read it when I was younger, I never took it as that way. It is kind of the idea of, oh, I'll be the envy of all of these people is because in technicality he was singled out like like she signed his jacket exactly it's the idea of oh well but the way he did it was fucking creepy like i said i never took it that way i mean i guess it has to deal with when you read it because when i was a kid i never really correlated it's to being creepy. And I know Molly also read it when yeah. she was younger. And y'all are reading it now as an adult with the idea of, very rightfully so, that it's creepy when adults have intimate interactions with children, even if they are not inherently sexual. Yeah. It is definitely, I think, a difference in when we read it. Because, like I said, I've never really taken it that way and even rereading it I guess also rereading it now I'm tainted by the same view of it's not creepy because when I read it when I was younger I never took it that way so I think it's also tainted my view of it now rereading it to where it isn't that for me whereas if I was reading it for the first time, I might really feel the same way as you guys if I read it right now for the first time. The times have changed, like, even between now and, like, the 90s. There is a difference. That's true. <laughs> well, I was going to say, it's also the uh, <clears throat> the mindset, because I was a kid when I read this. So, like, I'm, shit, this book came out in, like... 98? Wait, 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 where is it? Check out them apples. Hell yeah. yeah. So I was like super young when I read this. So it never even crossed my mind. Yeah. So as an adult reading it for the first time versus being a child and not having that view of the world yet. Yeah. Because at a certain point, you realize not everything is sunshine and rainbows when it comes between relationships between adults and children. It can be a supportive, loving, and healthy relationship. And then you have those people who take advantage of technically having more power than children. I do feel it is more so when you read it rather than the times changing. And I will admit, 
I never even noticed the phrasing. I just glossed right over it. Because what stood out to me more was everybody was like, hey, that's really cool. Yeah. Were there any other things that you liked about this? Uh, it was the forming of a plant, which, you know, is actually really cool. Um, there's actually something I really, really did like. Because we don't ever really touch on things that we don't like. Yeah. Um, there's a part where Daja is realizing what's going down and she has this incredible envy over the staff. It is almost a blinding envy for a moment. And she's like, what would mine look like? And it's really telling of Daja, I feel, is how much she misses all of that, all of her heritage. She does have a, I wouldn't say better, I would say different kind of life. So it's sad to see her come into contact with something and her be immediately reminded of everything that's happened, everything that's gone down. Because I feel like some days she can almost forget it. And not necessarily forget it. It's more of a put it to the back of the mind and continue working forward. Makes me really sad that she has that moment of envy. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Step two is reading like a dedicate. 
This is where we try to find a theme or a message in the chapter. Did anyone find a theme or a message? Goodwin is nodding. The theme that I saw was power. And I know that's kind of vague, but uh, let's go. Uh, I guess the first one is the obvious one. Kind of the transfer of power between the kids. We don't exactly know what's going on, but clearly we saw Triss using probably what I'm guessing is Dasha's power. Because that's who popped into her head while she was pointing at the thread and caused it to catch on fire. Clearly, it seems that there's some transferal there. I'm not sure if it's the same thing with Daja, but Briar was able to stop the growing of iron branches mm-hmm. with his powers, even though he wasn't there with her. And in addition to that sort of power, also the power of traditions, especially since we're talking about trader traditions. And if you become a Trangshi, even if you've done nothing wrong, it'll still affect you. And that's sort of the power that traditions have. I'm sure there are some examples in the real world. I can't think of any off the top of my head. But, you know, if you do something wrong, you could be outcasted or say, if we want to talk about religion, you could be, let's say you're you're gay. In a lot of Christian religions, you don't get to go to heaven if you do that. You go to hell. Or at least that's what they say. These sort of traditions have that power over you. Even if sometimes you're able to leave that space that that religion might have, it can still affect you negatively. Goodwin's theme is, I guess, sort of the opposite or connected to mine. If I were giving a homily on this chapter in the Reading Circle Temple, then it would be all about how everyone experiences pain and we fail to listen to each other and acknowledge other people's pain. And that is the source of even more pain and the lack of like healing. Um, So like my example from our actual world is, this is especially important because the Black Lives Matter movement has been so at the forefront of things. Essentially, way back when, rich white people were like, hey, we should make poor white people think that they are better in some way than black people. That way, they will fight each other and we can keep getting rich. Uh, So one of the issues is that still today, a lot of the poor white people feel like their pain is being ignored when they hear Black Lives Matter. And so basically there's this whole failure in communication. If they took a moment to say, oh, hey, you are dealing with not having resources at your school or not making enough money to eat and things like that, we are too, then it would be easier for us to solve some of those problems because we wouldn't be fighting each other about it. We'd be like, oh, hey. We could work together to fix this. Which I think in turn would help solve some of the other racism issues because then white people aren't going like, this is just reverse racism and you think you're better than us or whatever. It's like, no, actually everyone is experiencing problems. Sometimes they're different but they everyone experiences problems which is one of the reasons that i really like daja and polyam because we know that she's scarred and she's missing a leg and and so daja is trunk 
but also Pollyann is, if you ran into her on the street, it would be difficult not to stop and stare because she looks different. She stands out. They both are experiencing different types of pain. Um, so we're... She's a weir up. Yeah. Which, Which is, is like the, better, the lowest thing you can be. It's not much better than being Chang-Chi. But at least it's she is a little afraid. bit better than Chang-Chi, but not much better. Yeah. It's almost like we experience pain and then we take it out on other people because we don't know what else to do. So Pollyanne is treating Daja horribly and Ventress is treating Pollyanne horribly. And honestly, Daja's really the only one here who's actually trying to communicate things. Because she's telling Tris, like, look, this this is a cultural thing and this is why she's doing this. And just the level of understanding that she's reaching. Because she's the only one who understands both sides because she has that dual identity. I guess just taking a moment to recognize that you're not the only one who's hurting. My theme was pretty much the same thing. You had asked me at the beginning of of this if I like polyam or not. (laughs) And no, I didn't. But I feel like understanding another person's culture is really important. No, I didn't like her because I've read the other two books. We've built up a relationship with Daja. We really like her. And so someone being mean to a person that we like already, of course, we're going to be upset by that. But trying to understand another person's culture, (laughs) Indy, calm down. Anyway, so... I agree with Indy, but... I was talking about this earlier. We we have to understand another person's culture. No, I didn't like the way that she was treating her, but that's part of her culture, and... I can't fault her for that. So I'm sure I'll like her more later, but I don't strongly dislike her. I don't know if I'm making sense. You're making I feel sense. like I'm rambling. <laughs> That's the way that she's raised. And just because that we think somebody's culture is dumb, we need to try to understand something like that. I know later on in the chapter, Tris tries a little bit to try to understand her culture whenever Pollyam is saying all these words that Tris doesn't understand. She asks questions to try to understand a little bit more to be able to try to talk, traitor talk. She's been trying to learn more about that, but just the, more of an understanding, I guess, of culture. I'm over here like, you don't vehemently hate her. No, I don't hate her. Yeah, I dislike what she said to Daja because I love Daja, but I don't hate her because of... I don't hate her. I don't dislike her. You're more upset at her traditions than her as a person, maybe? Like, I don't dislike her. I don't hate anything about her. I just didn't like the way that she treated her, but I have to also understand that that's the way that... Andy knows how I feel about this. (laughs) I don't hate her like I hate Kirel. I don't hate her. I don't dislike her. I know that's her culture. Exactly. Like, 
you vehemently hate Carell, yet you don't vehemently hate Polya. <laughs> because that's her culture. That's not Carell's culture. Anyway. <laughs> like, oh, I can forgive her. I Even can't forgive her. She's a yes. total fucking dick. But I can't forgive Carell for not being able to know that someone has a very uncommon type of magic. Exactly. Exactly those. I hit the nail on the head there, Molly. Yes. <laughs> we literally had this discussion last week. We did. After y'all left. We did. What, that I would forget all of them? Exactly. That conversation. Yep. Uh, okay. Well, we're going to continue on with the podcast. My theme was appearances. Mind blown. <laughs> Mind absolutely well, okay. fucking blown. You said that and I was like, oh my god. She's so right. Boom. Talia makes a big show of ignoring Daja. It doesn't really seem like it, but at the same time, it really is. It is a very big showy. I'm actively ignoring this person. It has a lot to do, of course, with how she's raised, but it's also appearances. As she was seen talking to her, there's a lot of backlash there yeah. because of how the culture is. I think um, even a part it, where she says something like, if there was a Trungshi here, as if Trungshi are like mythological creatures. It is definitely about appearance in this big, big showy thing. We see it with Sandri and the jacket. Because she could have just been like, oops, I didn't do anything, and then run off. But she actively was like, okay, I'm going to apologize for this and see what I can do to fix it. And I feel that also ties in with not just how she was raised, but also that she's nobility. She has to be held to a higher standard than others. Briar, even, when he steals the graves, is... Oh, you don't steal anything anymore. Watch me. <laughs> it's definitely a lot of big shows of personality or traditions or something along those lines. Because at the very end, we do see Polygam's also running in when Daja starts screaming. It's not just Tris that runs in. It's Polygam, too. She's breaking that appearance for that split moment. There's also physical appearance in here, which is why my mind is so blown. Like, because you have all of that, but then you also have Polyam, who has a very unique physical appearance, as well as Dodge's traitor staff, which, because of its physical appearance, makes a statement and then Sandri being nobility, there's this whole thing at the beginning about how she is clearly dressed differently than the other three. Even if she's in like riding clothes, her clothes are much fancier, they're made of nicer material, you can tell that she is well-born. And the other three are normal people. I actually wrote in my notes, I'm interested in how she feels about her wealth because we know that she's practically royalty, she is ungodly wealthy. And I wonder how that 
does or does not change her interactions with the other three and her relationship with the other three who basically have no money to their name. I had another thought about, oh, as far as Polyam running in when Daja screams, I'm curious if something had been happening where Daja was truly being hurt, do you think that Polyam would have tried to help her? If she would what? If Daja was truly being hurt, the, the forge fire had gotten out of control or something, would, do you think Polyam would have tried to help her? Mm, I don't think she would. Personally, I think it's a little too early to tell as her character. She's pretty entrenched in the whole not talking to Daja thing. But she did run in when she screams, so. Yeah. Why, why are you laughing? You know who would definitely help Daja? Kirel. <laughs> Part three of our reading process is reading like a mage. This is where we use the text to craft magic in our own lives. What magic have you crafted from this chapter? Mine is from the passage when Sandry has destroyed the jacket. She says, it's my fault the jacket is ruined. I have to make amends. And Bri asks, why? Nobody saw you. I saw me, she said flatly. I try to be like Sandry. Whenever I do something wrong, I want to go tell somebody about it. Sometimes I don't do that, but I, for the most part, I try to do that. Just recently, I went and got a DVD burnt, and I got two of them instead of one, and I already paid for one of them. I hadn't paid for the second one, and I was going to walk out and just not say anything, and I felt bad, so it's uh, I better go back and just say something. So I went back to the register. And I was like, hey, I paid for this first one, but I don't think I paid for the second one. And he's just like, eh, go ahead. Okay, I told you about it, but all right, that works. I tried to do that, but there's other times that I don't. I know for like my daughter's last birthday, I got a really big cake and it was supposed to be like $40. They put the wrong price tag on it. And I felt really bad, but I didn't go back. And I paid like $3 for it instead of $40. And I kept feeling really, really bad. And I never went back. So sometimes I do, and I should do that more often. So going back, because I know I did something wrong. Somebody else might not. Where was it from? It's from Walmart. Uh, don't feel bad. You're good. <laughs> That's yeah, what don't, I mean. don't even, don't even. You're like, ah, oh, they've got enough money. Like, you, you, ah. didn't, you, didn't, you didn't even steal it. Maybe if you stole it, you'd feel bad. At least you paid some for it. Like, I did pay some for it. They just put the wrong label on it. They put, I think it was like fig leaves or some shit. I don't know. They put the wrong, some kind of leaves. This cake is a leaf. Yes. And I felt really bad about doing it, but I did you know that. You know what? Fuck the Waltons. I'm gonna go on record. Fuck the Waltons. The grandkids well, are. Walmart. <laughs> we just lost so many sponsors right there. We, we sure did. Thanks, Cindy. <laughs> I know. We basically lost all of the sponsors from our local area. Yes. No. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. No. There's also Tyson. <laughs> JB. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, Harps, Harps is going to hire us just because we talk shit about Walmart. I like Harps better anyway. Fuck the Waltons. I picked the exact same passage. 
It's oh, funny because yeah. I chose the passage immediately after that one. <laughs> and literally in my notes, I wrote how noble of her because I've talked before about <laughs> she is nobility, but she also is very noble in personality. And it is a noble thing to do to admit when you are wrong or admit when you are guilty because you don't want to necessarily face the consequences. It is such a noble thing. It can play out just fine for you, like in Britney's case, when the person was just like, oh, go ahead and take the other DVD. Or sometimes it's very helpful for the other person. There was a time when I was in college, I was getting changed from the front desk so that I could go do laundry. And the person accidentally miscounted the bills and gave me too much change. And so I just went back and was like, oh, hey, I'm, I'm pretty sure that you miscounted. And the person was like, oh, thank you so much. I probably would have been in major trouble. The drawer had come out that different. That wasn't out of the way. I read in a book about nobody likes to take the blame for situations. So if you are willing to take it, whether or not it belongs to you, then it can defuse a situation. So those two things kind of go together. I would like to be more Sandry in that way. Goodwin apparently chose the- The one that I chose was the passage where all the people come back and, you know, they're looking at the jacket and clearly it's a little toasty, but it's not severe. And what I thought is that sometimes broken things can be beautiful too. It reminded me a lot of the Japanese um, kintsugi, which is where they would repair bowls with lacquer, broken like ceramic bowls with lacquer that's either gold or platinum colored, and they would fill it in, and it ends up making these really, I think, pretty designs. Instead of trying to hide the repair, they kind of accentuate it and treat it as a history of the item. I just thought that was like a good thing to remember, that just because something breaks doesn't mean that it's worthless. You have to try to see the good in that sort of stuff. I love that. It reminds me a little bit of, in a lot of Native American cultures, there's an idea that goes into crafting. I think of it particularly with weaving and clothes making, but it might be elsewhere. Basically, it's like people are not perfect. If you, if you try to make a perfect craft, or even if you do, then it like pisses off the gods or something like that. And so you purposely put in mistakes. I think there may be other cultures where that shows up. But when I'm quilting, sometimes I make a mistake and I look at it and I'm like, it's not a big deal or it's like, it's not worth the effort of taking it out and redoing it. So I just look at it and I think, ah, that's going to be part of my purposeful mistake to show that it's not perfect. It kind of makes it individual to what you're doing. Which is what he says about the jacket. Mm-hmm. I want one! Do you want yours <laughs> melted or not? Uh, either or. Okay. Whichever one looks cooler. Yeah, whichever looks cooler. My own individual one. All right, Indy. Pull an Indy. I dare you. <laughs> I mean, it might be called an indie for a reason. Mine is actually the scene where Paul 
Liam is talking to Tris, and Tris makes a comment, and Liam's like, I may be a rock, but I'm at least I'm still a traitor. And so the idea of as bad as you have it, you can have it worse. And I know that I've stated this before is, you know, you're entitled to your own pain and your own feelings towards something. And you're allowed to experience that. Yes, something bad is happening. You are allowed to be like, this is shitty. This fucking sucks. It's also the, yes, my car got totaled. I, I could be homeless. I could have been living in my car and therefore no longer have a place to stay. Or I might be broke. I can't afford dinner, but at least I can eat. I still have the ability to get food every now and then. I'm using a lot of homelessness and poverty because I've been there. I spent about two months living under a bridge. I had no money. I didn't have a job. I was literally just fucked. (laughs) It sucked. It was one of the worst experiences of my life. And yet, I think that it's helped keep me realizing I could be back there. I've been in a low spot. I have had some shit. But where I'm at right now, no matter how much it sucks, I could be back there. When I'm like, oh, my life sucks. Like Everything is wrong. Everything just is awful. I have to kind of remind myself that it could be a hell of a lot worse. It has been a hell of a lot worse. Sorry for getting a little there. <laughs> I really like that. I have a coworker, or had a coworker when I worked at the other school, one of the custodians, who had a sign on her door. I don't remember everything it said, but it was this list of complaints things that you might complain about if you are a custodian at an elementary school. And one of them that I remember was like, uh, children have tracked mud through the halls or something. And then next to or underneath each one, it turned it around into something positive. Like the children have tracked mud in the halls, but this means that they've been able to have a fun time playing. There's food all over the cafeteria, but this means that people have been able to eat today. Instead of seeing this in this negative way, I have the ability to see the positive side of it. And that always really stuck with me. I think that's something that like, I can also do more in my life of just saying, oh, but at least there's this. You gotta find that silver lining. Otherwise, you will go fucking nuts. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Are we ready for our excerpt? This is an excerpt from chapter two of Dasha's book. I suppose nothing like this ever happened to you, Tris accused sourly. She and Dasha were still trapped. Before she had left them, Polly M had found a tall stool for Tris to sit on. Daja could not sit, 
the metal had grown down as far as her thighs, making it impossible for her to bend. Actually, my power got away from me once. I was... Frostheim cleared his throat. I was attempting to put some gold ornaments back into a tribal queen's jeweled collar. She gave him her gems, and he knew that her husband would miss them and suspect she had given them to a lover. Rosethorn leaned against the wall, arms crossed over her chest. Her delicately carved mouth curled in a half smile. Sandry and Briar sat on the ground next to her. I didn't know she was married, said Frostheim defensively. Did you ask? Rosethorn inquired. She was a scrappy woman, only an inch taller than Daja, with short cropped chestnut hair and wicked brown eyes. In her green habit, which marked her dedication to the gods of the earth, she was hard to see in the shadowy forge. Not all of us are as perfect as you, said Frostheim, putting his hands on the iron that held Daja and Trick captive. Sometimes magic gets away from a mage. Is the point I was trying to make. He glared at Rosethorn and concentrated on his task. Reading Circle Temple is produced by us, Molly, Brittany, Indy, and Goodwin. If you like listening, tell your friends about us. If you don't like listening, tell your enemies. Please tell us what you think of the Circle of Magic by emailing us at templeofreadingcircle at gmail.com or join our Reading Circle Temple Facebook group. You can find more of Reading Circle Temple at readingcircletemple.com or find Reading Circle Temple on Tumblr. And thanks to Yellow is for Happy for our artwork. You can find more of their artwork on Tumblr at Yellow is for Happy Draws or on Instagram at Shannon and Draws. Also, thanks to Britain's brother, Thomas Dick, for our theme music. You can find more of his music by following Thomas Dick on SoundCloud. Thanks to Tamara Pierce for writing The Circle of Magic, and thanks to you for listening. Let's all have coffee next week. I find it funny that uh, Frostpine is telling Bruce Thorne, we're not all as perfect as you, but in the previous book, he's all, he was telling Daja how perfect he is, basically. <laughs> I mean, so he's pretty all, perfect. Where's he not? He is pretty perfect. But who is going to argue perfection against Rosehorn? He specifically states, I have to have flaws, otherwise, I'd be unbearable to live with. Like Rose Thorn. Like Rose Thorn. <laughs> <laughs> 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.